This is indeed a historical day. Through the miracle of technology, I am in Hong Kong, China, and yet I am speaking to my friends in Westside Family Church in Kansas City. And next week, Pastor Dan will be speaking to our congregation here at Gongfuk Church. This is more than exciting. And we are joined, as it were, at the hip. Since I first met Pastor Randy in 2018, we have shared a deep conviction that there is only one church, the Church of Jesus Christ. And the One campaign, which started as a small acorn seed in Hong Kong, has grown into a rich orchard globally. <laughs> but I know what you're thinking. I don't look very Chinese. True. I'm sorry I cannot change my face. But equally, I cannot change my heart. I came to Hong Kong with my family 34 years ago and have spent half of my entire life here. Now, you've worked out my age. I know. I don't look it, do I? My wife, Sandra, our two sons, our five grandchildren, and our array of canine friends are all still here in Hong Kong. Our home. I love Hong Kong. I love the Church of Hong Kong. I just love the church. Full stop. But I wonder, do you ever look at something and not see what's really there? Now, there is a phenomenon in the world of art where this happens all the time. Artists embed a three-dimensional image inside a two-dimensional picture. The 3D image is there, but you can't see it at first glance. Here is an example. It's called a stereogram. Have you ever seen something like this? In Hong Kong, we have many, I, I mean many, shopping malls. And often find these stereograms decorating these malls. What happens here when presented with an image like this, your eyes will look at two different points. But because the image is a repeating pattern, the brain is tricked into thinking that the two spots are the same thing. The brain then perceives depth, and with the two points as being on a virtual plane behind the pattern. But a lot of people can't see the image, and I'll tell you why later. But when two people are in the shopping mall looking together, inevitably, one of them says to the other, do you see it? 
And that's the question that Jesus is asking us today. Do you see? Because not seeing what's there not only happens in the world of art, it happens in the world of spirituality. It happens with Jesus. At first glance, when you look at Jesus, you don't see all that is there. And if you don't look long enough, if we stare at him in a different way, we'll have a limited view that would prevent us from seeing how incredible, how powerful, how compassionate, how glorious he is, and miss out on experiencing the life that he offers us. So we want to see clearly. And the question is, what image do you have of Jesus? It's so important that we get this right. And one of the beauties of Mark's gospel is that Mark shows us the images of Jesus revealed that will allow us to see him more clearly. Now, I've been following your sermon series called Cheer Up, where you've been looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of Mark's testimony. You're five weeks in, I believe. And what you've seen is you've seen Jesus burst onto the scene in a new kind of teaching, a new kind of ministry, and a new invitation to connect with God and experience his kingdom. His teaching had authority. His ministry and power and his invitation had universal appeal. Now, up until this point in the ministry of Jesus, he's been wildly popular. The things he said, the miracles he performed, he'd very much eliminated sickness in Palestine over the past three years. But things are getting ready to turn. Keep in mind that everything is moving to a moment of conflict where the religious leaders threatened with losing their power, will sway the people to turn on Jesus. And all things will culminate in the crucifixion of Jesus on a Roman cross. There are some incredible pictures of Jesus on Mark's canvas in this section that covers chapters 6, verse 30, to 9, verse 29. We see the picture of Jesus as one who walks on water. Jesus as the liberator from false religion. Jesus as the healer of the demon-possessed. Jesus as the giver of sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Jesus as the challenger of religious hypocrisy, and Jesus as the ultimate prophet. Throughout the gospel, you might have noticed that Jesus uses every moment to reveal himself more fully to his disciples because, like us, they don't always see things clearly. Now, I cannot 
cover the three plus chapters in the time available. So what I want us to do is to view two particular pictures that Mark paints that will help us see Jesus more clearly and be able to fully appreciate the art he wants to create in our own lives. And the first picture is this. Jesus feeds 4,000. The first picture is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. It was not uncommon for crowds of thousands of people to flock to Jesus for his teaching and miracles. And this was one such day. Actually, it had been going on for three days. And Jesus finishes, he finishes speaking and turns to his disciples. He says this, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Jesus isn't just a leader, a teacher, a miracle worker. He's a shepherd. He cares about people. The word Mark uses here, translated compassion, is the Greek word splagnitsomai. It means to be moved on the inside, to feel something in the deepest place of human emotion, our gut. And his emotion moves him to action. Uh, just a side point, the only time splagnitsomai is used in the New Testament other than describing Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells his disciples he wants to feed them. It's a no-brainer, right? They've seen this play before. And so, do they tell everyone, okay, everyone, sit down and get ready for a miracle? No. Not even close. Instead, they say to Jesus, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? In other words, where's the nearest McDonald's? Wait, what? Don't you guys remember that Jesus just fed 5,000 people a little while back? You were right there. How many loaves do you have, asked Jesus. Seven, they replied. Jesus says essentially, cheer up. There's plenty of food for everyone. So he sits the people down. He takes the loaves and a few fish. He gives thanks to God. He gives them to the disciples. And these limited resources are miraculously multiplied by Jesus so that disciples handed out enough for 4,000 people to eat. And there were leftovers. But can you see what is going on in this picture? Let's compare what the disciples saw and what Jesus saw. The disciples saw people who needed to be sent away. Jesus saw people who needed to be fed. The disciples saw an impossibility. Jesus saw an opportunity. Then let's compare what we see 
and what Jesus sees. Oh, we see someone who's messed their life up. Jesus sees someone who deserves a second chance. We see a drain on our resources. Jesus sees you using what God has given us. We see an infringement on our time. Jesus sees an investment in eternity. We see not enough to really matter. Jesus sees a resource in God's hand. And here's the point. Later, when the disciples are alone with Jesus, and they're kind of debriefing the day, Jesus, knowing they aren't really grasping who he really is, asked them this question. Do you have eyes to, to see but fail to see? Let me say that again. Do you have eyes but fail to see? Are you looking at me with the wrong focus, with the wrong expectation? I mean, what a penetrating question that is. Isn't that us? There's a sense that no matter what we've seen Jesus do in the past, we don't fully grasp his power. We don't fully understand who he is. We don't fully trust him in the present. And the question is not meant to shame. It's to cause us to examine, to reflect, and to recall what we have seen him do and bring that forward to our current moment of trial, distress, or our sense of defeat. Do you see it? I repeat, do you see it? There's a popular song being sung around the world that reminds us of this. It goes something like this. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Sorry about the singing. I forget that sometimes. Don't you? Maybe you're in a dry season. You've lost your passion. You haven't felt God's presence for a long time. Answered prayer seems to be for other people. You long for a child. You long for a husband or a wife. And these losses make you feel like giving up. And sometimes all we can do is to ask God to help us see him for who he really is. And sometimes we have to borrow from the testimony of others which, by the way, is a powerful argument for community. I was so excited to hear about your watching, watching groups. We call ours clans, community life and nurture. Let's come to the second picture. Jesus reveals his true identity. The second picture is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Jesus wanted his disciples to see who he really was. And he did it by asking questions. On the way to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, Jesus posed this question. Who do people say I am? 
Now we're at the crux of the story. This is the essential question we must answer. Every one of us, we asked you this at the beginning. What image do you have of Jesus? Because being clear about his identity is everything. I heard this amazing story of something that happened back in 2006. Incredibly, less than 600 miles from Westside, in upland Indiana to be precise. There was a terrible accident that occurred with nine students from Taylor University. A semi-truck lost control on Interstate 69 and came across what I call the Central Reservation, I think you call it, guys call it Median, and smashed into the van that was carrying the students. Five people were killed instantly. As you might imagine, it was a terrible scene. A couple that witnessed it ran over and noticed a blonde girl fighting for her life. They stood over her and kept saying, baby girl, hang on. A rescue chopper was dispatched and the girl identified as Laura Van Ryn was taken to the nearest hospital with a level one trauma. Miraculously, ER doctors were able to stabilize her, transferred her to ICU, and a family were notified of their daughter's status. They raced to the hospital to be by their daughter's side, but upon arrival, were told what to expect when they see Laura for the first time. Not to expect her to look like herself. She had bandages around her face and tubes in her mouth, a tube in her head, some cuts and bruises. They hadn't really cleaned her up from the accident. Across the town, the family of Whitney Serak were getting different news. They were notified of Whitney's death, but chose not to identify the body because of how bad the accident had been. Four days after the accident, Whitney's family held funeral services for their daughter. As the girl in the hospital slowly began to recover, she began to say things and do things that raised questions. As soon as it became obvious to the, to the Van Rins that the girl in the hospital was actually not their daughter, Laura, but in fact, Whitney Serek. Their daughter, Laura, had been buried weeks earlier by the Serek family, thinking she was their own. Now, how could this happen? An official on the scene found Laura's purse next to Whitney. Someone apparently put an identification of Laura Van Ryn with the injured Whitney Serak. And Whitney became Laura. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible case of mistaken identity. I cannot begin to imagine how I would feel if I was Laura's parents. But it does lead me to a question. What if everything you thought to be true 
was false. Let me say that again. What if everything that you thought to be true was false? This is precisely why Jesus is asking the question about his true identity. Because if we get it wrong, it will be tragic. If we're unclear about Jesus, if we have a view of him that comes from culture or books or movies, then we're going to move in a direction that leads us away from God. But if we have a clear picture of who he is, then we can be rightly related to God and live in the freedom of beauty of the masterpiece that he is creating. Let's go back to the book of Mark. So the disciples told Jesus what people were saying about his identity. But then he took a step further. Who do you, who do you say I am? Who do you think answered? Right, Peter. And his answer was the most definitive definition of Jesus' true identity. You are the Messiah. Jesus affirms Peter's declaration but instructs them not to tell anyone. There it is again. Don't tell anyone. Uh, Wait a minute. Isn't that the whole point? You're the Messiah. Announce it. Conquer Rome. Inaugurate the kingdom. Take your rightful place as king. Give us our rightful positions in your kingdom. And then he begins to reveal the kind of king he was. Because if you want to be in Jesus' kingdom, you have to follow the way of the king. Let's read on. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. But this idea of suffering and death was foreign to them for their Messiah. And Peter is having none of it. So he takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, 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 enough of all this suffering and death talk. It's depressing everyone. But Jesus seizes the moment. And in the presence of all the disciples, he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why do you think Jesus called out the name of Satan? Because he was the one behind Peter's action. Satan didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. And he tried to use a friend of Jesus to persuade him off mission. And it wasn't the first time. In Matthew 4, Satan tempted Jesus to avoid suffering and death and serve him instead of God. But here, like then, he said to Satan, away from me. The truth is, Satan has, does, and always will try to obscure, soften, and outright lie about the true identity of Jesus. 
because he doesn't want us to see him for who he really is. Satan wants you to see Jesus as a good man, as a moral teacher, as a healer, as a prophet, one of the many ways to God. If you ask Alexa, she will tell you, Jesus was a Jewish preacher and religious leader who was the central figure of Christianity. But he is more. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God who came to seek and save the lost, to set people free, who suffered and died to pay for our sins and rose from the grave to authenticate that his death was a sufficient payment. And now he is alive and inviting whoever will see him for who he is to accept his offer of eternal life. This image of Jesus must be clear in our mind and our sight. Do you see it? Maybe? So let's go back to our original image. Does anyone see the 3D image? Here is what you should see. It's a shark. And do you know why some people can't see it? Because they're focusing their eyes on the wrong point in the picture. The trick is you have to focus on a point different from where you are looking. This is known as decoupling your vision process. Instinctively, people focus on the same point they're looking at, and that is the main obstacle in seeing images of this type. My friend, what is your image of Jesus? What obstacle is keeping you from seeing Jesus clearly, his true identity? Maybe you have to decouple your vision process to look beyond your cultural images of Jesus, to look past your pain, to look past your limited understanding, to look past the losses you blame God for, to look past your expectations of a safe Messiah, to look past your good works. Stop looking where you've been looking and choose to focus on a new point. Only then will the true Jesus come into view. Can I have an amen? I'd like to finish by praying for anyone at Westside or watching around the world who would respond to God's offer of salvation. He asks you at this very moment, who do you say I am? What is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? A person in a book? A good man? A worker of miracles? An upmarket Santa Claus who you can pray to with your shopping list? I'm praying for you right now that he would reveal himself to you as Savior, Lord, Healer, deliverer. 
Jesus wants to offer you a new set of lenses right here, right now. If you will admit your need for him, that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself, if you will accept that on the cross he didn't just die for the whole world, but for you personally, and if you ask him to be the Lord of your life, he will give you eyes to see him as he truly is. Please pray with me. Lord, I come to you and confess I haven't seen you fully. I have sinned against you and against others. Please forgive me and come into my life. I now receive your offer of salvation. Touch my eyes to see you in a fresh way. Touch my heart to be pure before you. And touch my hands to serve others. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I just want to say one thing to you. Please tell someone. God bless you.